Hey everyone, this podcast is brought to you by the 1929 Winter Tour. It starts January 9th in San Francisco. Go to congress.com slash shows to get your tickets. Uh, we're going out on the road with fitness. It's going to be a great show. What's up everyone and welcome to episode 33 of the Front Lounge uh, here with Congos and Colton, trusty Colton. Uh, Cookie is actually his new name. He goes by Cookie now. Uh, Jesse's daughter, Eve, gave him that nickname, and now we've turned it into like, uh, we, we use it as adults. It's like a moniker, you know, Madonna, any other one, Prince, Elvis, Sting, you know, Cookie. Yeah. It's pretty cool, actually, I think, you know, especially since it was given to you by Eve, who was not able to pronounce your real name, you know, some months ago when she first heard it. We had a party this weekend and he actually introduced himself as Cookie to people he had not met before without breaking face. You know, he didn't <laughs> smile about it. He just went serious and committed fully. He said, hey, what's up? I'm Cookie. Good to meet you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I couldn't do that. Like if I, if I had to, with a straight face, say, hey, I'm Dimples. Well, that's like, the... Joke that uh, Dana Carvey talks about, you know, the first day that Sting decided to tell everyone else in the band that he was going by Sting. <laughs> like the awkward moment. Guys, from now on, I'd like to be called Sting. Sting. <laughs> <laughs> the cookie is kind of unassuming. I can I could see that working. You know, it's not like trying to be ultra cool. It's just nonchalant yeah. cool, isn't that right? Sting was probably the first guy to have a shark tooth necklace. <laughs> <laughs> um, Golden Cookie, say hi, dude. Hello. <laughs> Yes, we had a party, uh, a food party. We, uh, it's our Inauthentica series. We're going to try to do these monthly where we just cook a bunch of food. Um, this was Greek food, so it was slightly authentic because we were slightly Greek. Yeah, just um, other musicians and friends and really cool LA people, you know, people who've got a lot going on, <laughs> a lot of auditions coming up, you know, just so busy right now, but they made time to come and eat free food, which was really, <laughs> really nice of them. Yeah, well, I guess to explain the concept, just so we, people know what we're talking about, we we always cook big, massive meals, typically on Sundays, that sort of thing, like family lunches or whatever, and we just figured let's expand it a little bit every now and then, and the idea is that we're doing a different region of food from around the world each time. And it, we're doing it inauthentically because we don't know what we're doing and we don't care. Except this one, like Danny was saying, was Greek. And we are Greek, partially Greek. Uh, so we all do actually know what we're doing with the Greek food. And it turned out pretty authentic and fucking good, if I don't say so myself. I mean, that was some of the best food I've ever had that we made. <laughs> <laughs> it was up there. Everyone really stepped up their game. It was good. I mean... uh it was in what I'm impressed by is the volume of food that was good because you can make small meals good quite easily, and then to make a lot of food good is more difficult. How we go down the menu and describe in detail, <laughs> make our listeners very hungry. Yes, um, and it's, it would be good to have Colton weigh in because he's not you've not had that much Greek food, probably right. Yeah. No, uh, you know, just like euros and <laughs> stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all people always say heroes. 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 Made famous by Dave Grohl. Did you, <laughs> here's a little here's a little factoid for you. Mm. Do you know what hero means? Uh, no. Gyro. Hero, gyro, as people call it, means round, like it's spinning, mm. like a gyroscope. 
So that's why all those foods you see in the Middle East and the Mediterranean, like uh, doner in Turkey, the shawarma in like Arabic countries, and the what's it called gyro. It's all the same. It's this meat on a spinning stick in front of a fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, well yeah, I just want Colton to say how good it was too. Like so it's not just us. No, no, it, it was really great. I had. Uh, Two plates. I thought I was going to have just the one full one, and then I realized there's still a full table left, and went for the other. And uh, you know, I, I paid for it, but it was, it was worth it. It was worth it. You'd yeah. say that you paid for the weekend. Yeah, I paid paid for the weekend. Uh, we'd love to change the subject, but was that in that um, ugly delicious? Was that something that they talked about? Or was that pastor in in Mexico came from Turkey when the when the Turks were? Yeah, I believe. That was in the documentary on Netflix called Ugly Delicious, and they went to Mexico and they were describing the origins of the, I think, the al pastor taco, which is similar meat on a stick spinning. Mm. And it's at not that, spinning. Well, I mean, they spin it so that they can cook it on the cooker, but it's not like spinning. No, I don't mean spinning fast, but it yeah. turns like a rotisserie. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that that the tacos al pastor, or and uh, they used to call it al arabe or something like from Arab because it came mm. over, but it was actually Greek guys that went to. I think Guadalajara, maybe in Mexico, a hundred years ago, something, whatever it was, and brought this technique of making. And then obviously it translates really well to yeah. tacos. Yeah. The Greeks are just famous for setting up eating places or restaurants or cafes all around the world. You know, we went to a Greek school in Johannesburg and I would say like half the kids' parents were somehow in the food industry, you know. And uh, there was that old joke, you know, why, why are the Greeks terrible at soccer it's because every time they get a corner they set up a cafe (laughs) 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 it's kind of true and we we uh we're proud of that we take that to heart so let's just quickly run down the menu real real quick i only made a few dishes i'll start with mine i made a a boatload of tzatziki uh didn't do i didn't do dill because i I, i've you don't you rarely have dill in tzatziki in greece i feel like just simple with garlic and salt and cucumbers and really good greek yogurt um, I well, mean that, that makes the, all the difference, doesn't it? The Greek yogurt, yeah, like proper Greek yogurt, not what everyone calls Greek yogurt because it's thick, thickened with carrageenan or something. Yeah, that's always been weird to me. It's like yogurt does not need anything in it to, except for obviously the the culture. But <laughs> yeah, you don't have to. Yeah, I, I they add it for preservatives or for like consistency or so that you don't have to mix it when you open it. But it just makes it worse. I mean, yeah. if you have good milk and good cultures. You don't have to do anything, yeah, and then the Greeks, the Greek, they strain it basically. They strain yeah. a lot of the the um, liquid off so that you get this heavy, heavy kind of fatty, proteiny. Mm-hmm. Um, they strain there. the whey off. All the yellow liquid that collects at the top of yogurt is the whey. No way. Yeah, and you're left with just really thick. So then, yeah. So tzatziki is yogurt, garlic, cucumber, basically. I uh, I made a. It's not really a traditional Greek. Um, dish other than the fact that it's feta but I you know took some it was actually Israeli feta and I cooked down this reduction I was doing an Instagram story on curry eggs and toast and I forgot to like take photos when it was finished so you just see half something half finished but (laughs) it's uh I cooked a reduction of onion apples olives some jalapeno peppers cooked in in oil and a bunch of oregano and then added garlic, lemon and olive oil at the end and you kind of put this caramelized mixture over the feta and you bake it with olives and I put uh, little lemon slices on top. It was, it was pretty excellent. Yeah, that's become a, that's a Jesse signature now. Um, yeah. It's like a baked brie but feta. What was the other? I just made some some 
beets, beets and onions with vinegar and simple. Yeah, um, beets by Jesse. Uh, I think Joe Johnny did the most cooking. He did a yeah, made all, all the fucking pies. weekend. He made a well, yeah. I went to. There's a really great Greek market slash restaurant here in Los Angeles called Papa Christos, and it's a guy. I, I don't know if he's actually called Papa Christo or if his name is Christo, but it's an old 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 guy that must have been running this shop for you know 50 years or whatever and they've got everything that you need for greek food all the imported every, like everything that you need uh so we i went there we picked up a ton i like 90 dollars worth of kefalo gravieri which is the cheese you use for saganaki which is that the flaming cheese that they typically do at the restaurants and everyone goes opa <laughs> opa opa that's yeah so that's typically what that is it's a special kind of cheese that's got the right kind of meltiness to firmness so that you can cook it like fry it and it doesn't just melt into mush it yeah. re- maintains its form it's like in between halloumi and what's the mexican cheese oaxaca yeah that's it's, a good description yeah it crisps like oaxaca and it melts like melty cheese and it tastes a bit like halloumi yeah you gotta drench it in lemon juice afterwards yeah so we made that i made spinach and cheese pies which is spanako tiro pita spinach tiro pita i always noticed that they no matter what they just call it a spanako but a a restaurant's here because (laughs) it's too many syllables (laughs) but technically spanako pita is only spinach yeah or greens that's uh, when how i got into trouble in greece because i can say and then that's you know the only thing i can say in greek and then they start talking greek very quickly back to me which means three spinach and cheese pies please (laughs) and then oh and then i can say then i don't i don't understand (laughs) (laughs) that the pies i made were reminiscent of the pies when we went to greece almost 10 years ago and we hadn't eaten, you know, just like a long flight and you're really starving. We went out walking in Athens in the morning. That's a nice name. If anybody ever goes to Greece and goes to Athens, there's a neighborhood called uh, Fokios Negri. And it's Fokionos great. Negri. Fokionos Negri. <laughs> Fuck you, bro. <laughs> yeah, it's it, really it, good food. Yeah, so we went walking around and found uh, these spinach and cheese pies that they made. Just They make giant trays of them and they, you just cut a slice and like walk around and mine were very reminiscent Why of that. are you telling me this? I was there. No, I'm just telling you. Like, I'm just saying, I sent everyone a text. No, no. When this I, whole podcast has been us <laughs> telling each other shit we already know. So I made those. I made leek and cheese pies, which is just, it's not really Greek, but it's in the phyllo pastry. The phyllo pastry is quite a time-consuming thing. I didn't make the phyllo pastry because that would be fucking insane. Uh, what else did we make? We made, I made... Uh, like uh, croissants. You got to roll it out super thin and butter it and roll it out something yeah and then but even then just to use pre-made phyllo you have to butter in between each layer so that it doesn't all just stick together mm. but it's worth it in the end because you get that really fluffy crispy flaky, flaky i love phyllo taste. much more than puff personally yeah um i made melizano salata which is eggplant salad basically just eggplant garlic lemon that's ba- I mean, everything in Greek <laughs> is olive oil, Take lemon, and garlic. And put, put olive oil, garlic, and lemon in oregano. <laughs> uh, what else? We made a, my signature dish is the olive tapenade dip, which is kalamata olives, apples, balsamic vinegar, basil, basil, and um, pistachios mm-hmm. with a little bit of, did I say balsamic vinegar? Yeah. Yeah. Just blend it up in a food processor, and that's, yeah, that's an excellent dip. Yes, it's my, one of my favorite dips. Um, we made patates, lemonates, tiganates. Uh, <laughs> we made lemon, lemony potatoes. 
It's funny we decided to put lemon on this dish. Um, <laughs> but explain how you make it because it's a different way of making them. Yeah. Um, you we, you just skin the potatoes and you kind of chop them into uh, long triangle wedges, you know. And then you put half water, half lemon, and you put them, you put th- that amount of liquid about halfway up the potato and salt and olive oil and rosemary if you want or whatever you want to put extra. But the... The, it kind of infuses them with lemon. Over so the they kind of boil before they right, yeah. roast bake. or bake. Yeah, It's just, and you don't even have to turn them. You just leave them in there. They're like the nicely bottom. boiled on the inside and very crispy. Yeah. yeah. On the outside. But, and the, the lemon just soaks right through, mate. What else is there? Who made the choriatiki? Choriatiki. I made the choriatiki. Choriatiki means village salad. If you go to Greece and you order a salad, unless they've specifically made it for tourists, tourists, there's no lettuce in a Greek salad typically, no, like they, a village I mean, salad. They, they have, have it, got lettuce salads. Yeah, but you have to order it. It's called ma- maruli salata with with lettuce because it's not. I don't think lettuce is. It's just not as common. There. Yeah, lettuce is just not convenient because it it rots really quickly. Yeah, so I mean, like a village salad is. Tomatoes, feta, um, cucumbers. They'll have cucumbers. it in the winter. It just doesn't grow very well in yeah. the summer when it's hot. Yeah, cucumbers, uh, green peppers, and onions sometimes. And then uh, kind of a oregano, oregano, lemon, or uh, red wine vinegar dressing. It's very, very simple, but it's just... It's, uh, and ours was not that great because you cannot really find a good tomato in mm-hmm. this country unless you go to... like a farmer's market or you grow them yourselves and at the same time we were in Greece this is what inspired Dylan to start his gardening because you would just go to these restaurants in these little islands we were on and they would give you a tomato with some feta and a little bit of olive oil and it's the best thing you've ever had in your life and it's because the tomatoes were real yeah I still have not had I've had Dylan grew some kind of heirloom variety uh, tomatoes that were some of the best I've had but uh, the best normal looking tomato was in Alonisos at the windmill people's house. <laughs> Something else. Um, we had beets, uh, corta, which is just greens, like boiled greens. Um, yeah. Well, fas- who made the fasulia? Michelle and I made the fasulia. No, 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 the, the gigantes. Oh, that was a big hit. Yeah. People people were raving. I've, I've seen Twitter reviews of, of the <laughs> fasulia gigantes. It's uh, lima beans or, uh, yeah, what are they called? Broad beans. Like the big, fat, white wide, beans. white like beans. Fava, I think they're fava beans. Yeah. Aren't they? So you make them from scratch. And it's, this is easy to do. You just take the dry beans and, you know, they say to soak it overnight and all that, which you probably should but if you have a pressure cooker you i feel like you can skip that whole step you cook it for like an half an hour and let it de-steam by itself in the pressure cooker and then you put but you put a bunch of rosemary in the pressure cooker with it so that after that hour of sitting in the pressure cooker the rosemary is infused actually into the beans and then it's just a uh, tomatoes onions and garlic sauce and olive oil of course like <laughs> everything, I mean, literally, we went through probably I don't know a gallon or more of olive oil. But it's funny to see when you're watching a recipe online or someone describing it, and they start using things like tablespoon of olive oil. Like, <laughs> fuck, just pour the olive oil. Grow up. <laughs> you don't need a tablespoon. Um, dessert. We had uh, Danny made the souvlaki and flatbreads. Oh yeah. yeah, I hate the fucking word flatbread. I gotta say that. Yeah, it's like avocado toast. It's annoying. I mean. I, I, you have a good flatbread. It's good, but it just, just find, an, let's find another word because 
flatbread has become associated with chain hotels. You pizza, know, no like, sauce. Pizza, no sauce. I was. It's I like was, a half I just said, pizza. Uh, this is flatbread like the earth. <laughs> seeing how long I could hold it. Um, what do you put on that? You put some brie and figs? Yeah, we didn't make that many. I ended up with... Because there was so much food, I just kept it... Blue. That's Blue oh, the that's, dog. That's Blue or barking at the door. <laughs> um, yeah, you just... Interrupting our podcast. He liked it, the, he liked the bread flat breads. Yeah, sorry. So you left... You ended up with a bunch of extra dough. You made some loaves of bread today. Yeah. Um, then you made beef. souvlaki, which is just beef kebabs, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, you got that recipe, well, not the recipe, but like the marinade from our good friend Lauren in South Africa, or did you do a variation? I modified it a bit, but uh, I don't know why I haven't been using lemons as in everything, because it's fucking <laughs> great. I know, it's one of those words that's annoying too, zest. Zesty. Yeah, I feel zesty. Like there were, there you know were, what zesty means in Greek? Life? Or, no, no, it's always... It means hot. Huh. Yeah, now they use it for like... A zesty cake. <laughs> um, I feel like there were eighty percent vegetarians there, but those uh, kebabs were gone. Yeah, yeah. yeah Johnny Marlow ate them all. <laughs> yeah, the fucking monster. Marlow the vulture. Um, <laughs> it's any. I'm surprised they weren't chicken. He didn't. He didn't discriminate. And then what was there uh, for the, dessert? There's a cutabiedas, which is like, they look like Mexican wedding cakes. You've probably seen these small little cookies dusted in uh, powdered sugar, and it's a uh, it's a flour cookie with uh, almond extract in it. So it's like a tiny bit al- of an almond. almond. And Michelle made those. And, and uh, by the end of the party, it re- looked like a real L.A. party because everyone had powdered sugar all over their face. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it, right? Yeah, we're missing there were people from the doing menu? lines of curry. So yeah, yeah. If you fast-forwarded through this part about the food, I, I don't know why you're listening because uh, this is what we'd rather talk about than anything on, on, on the podcast. In fact, we were talking about our next recording studio that we – if we move, um, we should we should get like a building, a restaurant building with a lot of sort of kitchen equipment and chairs and tables and stuff. And instead of recording gear, we could have fridges and cooking gear. Instead of music, we could make food and we could And the crew, and sell instead it. of yeah. the crew, you know, yeah. setting up stage and doing merch and stuff, they can host and yeah. prep and serve. Prep and prep the studio manager could stay at the front door and then as people entered... He could like figure out where they sat, and then <laughs> yeah. what? Maybe uh, yeah, Colton, the merch guy, he could be selling the alcohol merch. Yeah. Yeah. So what else? I picked up a bunch of ouzo, which is uh, Jesus. I got fucking drunk very quickly in the day because people were handing the around chipuru and ouzo. Yeah, and chipuru is a uh, grap a grappa. Basically, it's all the leftover dregs of the grapes when they're finished making wine, like the stems and the skins and everything. They take the remaining of that and then they distill a hard liquor out of it. So it tastes a little bit like paint thinners, <laughs> but it's actually nice and it works. Uh, you know, the, the, it's a digestif, which sounds like a pretentious thing until you've eaten too much and you have a digestif and you realize it actually works. It, mm-hmm. You drink it and it goes through whatever the chemistry behind it is yeah it's called getting very drunk that's no no it's not it's it's something about the way it goes through your stomach i really feel like it aids digestion it's also the bitterness i think encourages you your uh, saliva glands and to produce certain enzymes that aid with uh, digestion uh, stimulates your uh, gallbladder Ah. to release bile might i believe (laughs) things like dandelion 
That's why I always eat dandelion greens. Uh. Yeah, in Chinese they've got yeah, the, there's a Chinese. Uh, kind of fucking standard word you're seeing in that <laughs> in that accent, accent in, mate. Over in China they say uh, <laughs> eat the bitter. It's a phrase they use. It's a, like a, Is that actually yeah, a phrase? Yeah, because it, the bitter stimulates digestion. Huh. Yeah. Well, I'd say it was a successful evening. Yeah, first official unofficial inauthentica. Um, We've copyrighted that and coined it and all that, so don't yeah. s- steal it. I like uh, I like cooking food. I, I think that's probably we all like cooking food. If we could find, if we won the lottery, I don't think I'd make a record for a year. I'd just make food. <laughs> well, we you know when the music business fails, if or when the music business fails, we'll open a restaurant and you guys can come out and yeah yeah. All right. So, so if anyone's listening to this was at the party, that's kind of weird. It'd be weird if our friends were listening <laughs> to a podcast every week, but maybe they are. Thanks for coming. Yeah. Um, also, we should talk about our favorite pastime, which is to talk shit about every single person who shows up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of an honor. If you come to a party, guaranteed there's a post-mortem where we discuss you, you or what you did afterwards. <laughs> it's all in good fun, uh, unless it's not. <laughs> yeah, the amount of times I said these Fucking plebs are not going to appreciate the six hours <laughs> I put into this spanakopita. <laughs> That's how we keep, whenever we're cooking for a full day, all we do is talk about how much nobody's going to understand our genius <laughs> and how uh, the, the, the plebeians don't they deserve our... They just scoff it down and not yeah. even appreciate the work that went into it. But actually, we got a, you know, everyone was quite gracious, I thought. Usually, people just come eat and they're fucking, oh, that's great, and leave. But we got a lot of... Comp- like we like got almost as many compliments as we get online for our music. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, that was that. Inauthentica right. one in the books. Let's talk about uh, music only. Next week is a it's a big week. We're releasing another single. It's called "Pay for the Weekend." It's coming out on Tuesday. Um, podcast listeners will be able to hear it first. Yeah, podcast listeners on Monday will be able to hear it uh, for a full day before it's out. And uh, I think we tweeted the artwork the other day, so if you want to check that out. Um, but this is going to be the last song that we release before the album comes out in January. Um, so we're, after this song's out, we're going to just you know hunker down in the studio and finish the rest of the songs, uh, finish mixing the rest of the songs. And yeah, anything, anything, that's all. You, really hear, you can hear a little uh, snippet of it, um, actually a previous version in episode four, is it? Yeah, of, of Bascon. Oh, right, yeah, it closes out the episode uh, in Prague. Yeah, I think it's cool. There's a new super cool groove section in the middle of it. That's my favorite thing. Jesse always comes up with these groove sections late in the process of his songs. I think it's because we end up tweaking. You know, that's the thing that I sort of zero in on, especially late late in the process where you know, I've kind of sorted on the lyrics and the melody and whatever else. And then the subtleties of the groove kind of drive me mad because I, being a drummer, I just kind of zero in on those details and the exact feel of a shuffle or whatever the groove is and get obsessive about it. So I end up breaking it down and just listening to the key elements to make sure things are locking. And then inevitably somebody goes, oh, that's a fucking cool groove. You know, we should lose all the other shit and play that for a little bit. (laughs) So we did, we added a section where it just kind of breaks down into this weird chaunty, rhythm and uh pretty cool i'm it's, yeah it's, it's a fun track well um we'll talk well, about it more next week when you can hear it 
Yeah, I was going to say, while we haven't done a music only where we've talked about something else for a while, so I will maybe just, just talk about a little bit of Greek music um, because that was what was at our party at the, on the playlist. Uh, let's talk about a guy called Dimitris Mitropanos. And he Colton, is, you got that spelling? I'll, I'll send you a link to it. We'll put, Not at all. We'll put up uh, some YouTube videos of his. And he's a Greek folk singer. Not folk. Uh, not folk. I guess what you call it. Just He was a popular like, singer in the 60s through, I think he's still alive. And he sings a lot of his music. Is this style called Zembek, Zembekiko? Zembebiko? Zembebiko. And if you've seen the stereotypical, like it's called the drunk man's dance like they often portray in movies where it's a it's like the Zorba dance. Yeah, the old Greek guy spinning around a glass of liquor in the center of the floor. It's it's a traditional dance that everyone does. Like our friends do it now as they're getting older. <laughs> but it's we talked with one of our good friends Michael was actually explaining Opano from episode 8 of Bus Call. He was explaining the origins of it. Everyone thinks it's just like this silly drunk dance, but it's I guess a very meant to be a very melancholy, lonely dance. You know, it's this thing. It's not just like, oh, I'm pissed drunk and I'm dr- drinking around the liquor. It's a, it's a lot of elements. Of, away. Yeah, melancholy to it. So we'll put up a couple of those Zembebiko. Is it Zembebiko or Zembekiko? I don't know. Bebiko, I think. Yeah. Yeah. When, uh, you know, when Pano was explaining all the lyrics, it's, a lot of it was, I've got to send my son to war type stuff or... Like well, that. yeah, this is something people forget about the Greeks that, and this is, you know, it's like the loose reason why we timed this Greek one around uh, this time because we were late for it, but it was... Zembeb- Zembegiko. Zembegiko. Oh, yeah. Okay. Zembegiko. I always thought it was Zembebiko. But on, uh, oh, so we were trying to do this on October 28th, but the timing didn't work out. But October 28th is Oichi Day, which means no, no day, is when the Greeks basically said no to the Germans, like... In World War II, the Germans were coming in and did their typical like surrender or we're going to annihilate you thing, and the Greeks said no, and as a result, the fought the Germans and you know obviously were destroyed. Uh, they were, I think, they were among one of the highest groups per capita of deaths in the war. You know, they, they held them, they held out, though, and uh, yeah, I mean, the legendary stories. Yeah. Uh, well. That reminds me of. Uh, one of my favorite movies called Mediterraneo. It's about Italian soldiers who get kind of land landlocked on a Greek island in the middle of the war. No, they they uh, it, it basically it, Italians were obviously in the Axis, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they came upon a Greek island that they were supposed to hold, you know, because all the Greek, the men were off at war. Fighting, so it was an island with only women and children left, and the Italian soldiers occupied it and held it for strategic reasons. But this particular group of soldiers were not really warlike; (laughs) they were just like (laughs) Italian guys that wanted to hang out. So they ended up staying on this island, and basically, I don't want to give the movie away, but it's a special movie, and um, it's hard to find. I was I was able to find it online somewhere, but it's like. It's got the same flavor as a uh, local hero. Yeah. You know, it's or what's another movie like local hero? That's another great movie. Um can't think. I mean those those two definitely in the same category. They've got the same uh pathos uh yeah. and just feeling it, it evokes a feeling the way, the entire 
way that the film's shot and edited and everything just evokes a feeling from you that it do, it's almost not important the story. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Mediterranean is a kind of a cool story, but it's just like this feeling that it leaves you with. And I guess we have certain associations with it, having spent time, a little bit of time on some of the Greek islands, like they're magical places. Yeah. Especially well, when you, you know, I don't know if you remember this when we were there, like you're swimming around and then you see a, an old ruins of some temple from sometimes 4,000 years, not yeah, could be. Some of them are 4,000 years old. Mm-hmm. And just thinking that, you know, Homer <laughs> might have been swimming around these parts. You know, it's crazy yeah. to be and in that Bart old of a... could have been skating. So we go into this because that's was the timing of this Oihide was that was kind of related to that. But, you know, there's a, the Greeks are of quite a deep philosophical culture obviously from historically but they've maintained that even through into their silliness now where they just like want to drink frappes and listen to house music you know you you have this weird impression of greeks i think if you meet them sometimes as being like these euro trashy like techno dudes but if you actually sit down and talk to them there's there's this history of philosophy and of kind of uh, emotional uh, intelligence that has yeah. uh, sustained through their whole history yeah like to to remain stoic when they make your frappe metrio and they don't make it sweet enough it's quite it's yeah. quite hard um, well I, th- it i feel like we can sort of poke fun at them because we are them in a way and um it, the, just the fact that they once had an empire that ruled the world you know <laughs> it kind of plays into the whole attitude now which is like yeah run the world done that it's not it's overrated you know it's a gonna... universal thing though that's a everybody seems to think like well yeah i built the acrop of rock you know the, yeah. what is it called the apocalypse <laughs> the acropolis <laughs> the parthenon yeah it's, everybody takes credit for the achievements of everybody who came before yeah like people that they did all the work to win the super bowl yeah. Like, we won. We won. <laughs> um, all right. So we'll throw up some links to that Zembekiko music from Dimitri Mitropanos. And we're back. And if you were just listening to that advertisement, what you can do is go to our Patreon. And uh, for two bucks a month, you get ad free podcasts and some exclusive content, videos, and whatnot. And you can submit questions. And yeah, go to patreon.com slash. K-O-N-G-O-S. In fact, before we move on to what we we're going to talk about, why don't we do those questions uh, from for the month of October or November? We had people submit a couple questions. Colton, let's hear what these questions are. All right. Question number one. Miriam Krowicki says, I know that 1929 will be in three parts. The first coming out January 19th. Will the other two parts be released shortly after? Or are we talking maybe one part a year also why was 1929 used as the title of the album what happened in 1929 great question this uh, was written by uh, our publicist (laughs) (laughs) no uh it's uh we don't have an exact timetable for the second two parts but it will definitely be much much quicker than one a year yeah um our our ambition is all of them next year uh, at, at least two parts next year, possibly all three. Yeah, I mean, I think we should aim for three. Yeah. And why is it called 1929? 1929 was the beginning of the Great Depression. 
It's in, funny. I mean, she's I, she doesn't look like she's American. She, I mean, she could be with her name, but mm. she might be Polish because we have a fair amount of uh, fans in Poland. But it's astounding to me the amount of American, not even kids. Like I get people that were born in the 90s or like the 2000s, like mm. not being aware of it. But people my age that just have no context of American history. Like I came here to this country. Right. <laughs> you know, we came here from South Africa and I was the top in my American history class and I barely knew anything just from what I'd learned in South Africa. People, it's weird to me. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, 1929 is the kind of beginning of uh, the Great Depression. Black Tuesday, was it October 19th or something like that? I think it was. I can't remember. Um, black Tuesday or Black Thursday, there were a few uh, black days uh, in 1929 that kicked off the Great Depression. And I mean, that's just, it's just a, it's a date, an important date, and it symbolizes a few different things that uh, the, the album's. Yeah. concept uh, is related to uh, uh, it's I mean, in the it's in the lyric for pay for the weekend that right. there's a reference to 19 you know makes me want to party like it's 1929 which is i guess, i guess referring to the fact that everyone was going ape shit in the 20s you know and 1929 was sort of the apex where everybody was thinking the world they were on top of the world and little did they know what was around the corner you know so there's a bubble on the artwork and we don't get i mean dissect it too much but really it's about that feeling of things being inflated and uh then popping mm. and just uh just bubbles like, in general it's not it's obviously it's not economics is not the theme of the album but it's more about the psychology of a bubble it's a weird phenomenon and it exists everywhere outside of economics as well and for all of our sakes we have to hope that we're wrong on this because we have a almost Nostradam- Nostradamus-like ability to <laughs> well, name our albums. Well, he did get it all wrong. I mean, he's... Yeah, no, I'm saying like yeah. we had Egomaniac before Trump was elected. Then yeah. he was elected. And now we have an album called 1929. So here's hoping that we're wrong about 2019. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, question two. Claudia DeCastro asks, how come you don't play any of the songs from your first album at your shows? That album is so good. On a different note altogether, I love the new stuff you guys are coming out with. Another question from our publicist. Um, <laughs> we do, basically, no one knows the first album. Very, I mean, very, very few people know the first album because it was, you know, we broke with Come With Me Now. Um, first album came out in 2007. There's a couple songs, like nothing went really went to radio. I think we maybe had one song that got played a little bit in South Africa. So no one really knows it. So um, that's the biggest reason we haven't been playing any shows. But we might we might add one or song, one or two songs I to was, the next tour. I was talking to our, one of our friends who was at the party, and we haven't seen him in like almost 10 years. been just one of those people we didn't see for a long time. And he was saying that his favorite song was The Way. But not even from the first album. He's got one of the original EPs oh, before yeah, the album that no, like, doesn't even exist, really. But he had one that we were, gave out to some friends, and he was saying <laughs> he really liked that version. <laughs> I think you know the the real answer for a set list is on these last few tours that we've done. It's been in sort of album cycle tour, so you know the Lunatic tour. We want to try and fit the Lunatic songs in, and then Egomaniac. We've got to, we've got to play the Lunatic songs that people want to hear, but we're also trying to fit our new album on. Um, but I think you know, as we build our catalog, um, it's going to be more fun. I think to change the set list up night to night, uh, especially now that we have fans coming out who will have seen us multiple times. Um, so I think this this tour we should make some alternate set lists so that 
you know, people are incentivized even to go to multiple cities. You know, you might hear something different. Yeah. Next question. Okay. Jessica Waters. Do you ever find yourselves being recognized as you go about your daily life? I was listening to another podcast wherein the musician discussed being frustrated by people who would recognize him, but were not necessarily into discussing the music and instead just shoved their phone in his face to get a photo for Instagram or Facebook. Is this oh, something you've all had to handle? I'm pretty sure I know who she's talking about. It's, his name's, uh, what's his name? Boohoo. <laughs> <laughs> I love that artist. Um, no, we don't know. We, we, the only time we get recognized is when we are walking through the mall together singing Come With Me Now and Johnny has an accordion and we have name tags on. Yeah. Um, we, we don't very often get recognized unless it's like around the gig or we're playing in a city and, you know, people will come see us at the Sometimes airport I or something like that. Sometimes I stand by the posters and just kind of like hope people. Yeah. There was a little period like when Come With Me Now was really hot in certain cities like Denver, Chicago. Occasionally someone would recognize as just walking on well, yeah, the street. Because and, but the, that's always like, it's, it's basically like, flattering. You're like, oh, wow. If we're hanging around the venue, you know, if it's if the venue's downtown and we're downtown going to get something to eat or drink, and then and it's around showtime, there's going to be a bunch, you know, four, five, six, sometimes a thousand people in the area that are coming to your show, so they will recognize you. And what happened one time in Toronto or Montreal where um, it'd been happening like all throughout the tour, that type of thing, and then someone came up to you and like brought their camera and they wanted you to take a picture oh, of yeah. them and you yeah. just put your arm around someone. <laughs> Danny put his arm around someone to take a picture and they're like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> but I think we've talked about this. That yeah. awkward thing that happened to Danny, it's, I can see how that happens to really famous people. You know, People always think like it's weird like the way that famous people kind of interact with people. But do you remember when we were at that festival in South Africa and David Hasselhoff was yeah. walking around like I think he might actually be a weird guy, but he was he, he everyone knows him like literally everyone in the world knows him, so they're all looking at him, but now he has to walk around and what is he meant to just act like no one recognizes who he is, so he has to kind of like look at everyone and be like, "Hey, what's up?" you know so you end up in this awkward situation, yeah where people do know you well, you don't have that problem, but you know, I can imagine really of that, famous of a people. Steve Martin joke i don't know it may even just been a tweet where he said i'm at a restaurant surrounded by people pretending not to recognize me <laughs> <laughs> but i got that sense i i told you guys this but i haven't told the podcast this i was out surfing um on multiple occasions now and i saw james franco and he was you know as i paddled out i was like damn that guy looks like james franco and then i got closer and heard his voice i was like oh that guy is james franco <laughs> and a bunch of the guys from like the wire and the deuce um were out there surfing and I, you know, I wanted to say, hey, how's it going? You know, love the new show that you guys are working on, The Deuce. But then you realize there's just like this awkward, I might be out there for two hours and then I'm going to be, I'll say that. And then for two hours, they're going to know that I know who they are and I'm listening in like it's a private conversation that they're having. And I'm just going to sit there for two hours and, you know, yeah. pretend you just, pretend like I'm not there. That's why people, it's why the same reason people start conversations when on the descent in a flight. Because yeah. they know that it's limited. Yeah, you never start a conversation in the beginning of a flight. Oh, some oh, people I've met do. Some people. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> it's like a common courtesy would be to say, "As I was leaving, hey, love the show." Yeah, yeah. and then, then you don't have to deal with me, or you don't have mm. to like interact with me. Um, is he a good surfer? Uh, it, he was still learning, I think. Oh. Where he was, he wasn't wasn't bad, but he was. Yeah, you tweet uh, James, hashtag James Franco sucks at surfing. <laughs> yeah, tag you, us in it. We, I, I went surfing with Dylan. That's that's breaking news. I fucking broke my head open a little bit, just a little gash, because I 
pulled the board back with my foot and I scratch. headbutted it. Yeah, it's a sc- it's a scratch. It's <laughs> let me. It's podcast. They can't see that the evidence is. They can't. Let me play it up here. Um, yeah, yes, misbehaving got, board. I headbutted it. That's like a. Is it is it a Woody Allen line? I, yeah. I got in a fight with this guy and. Uh, I first I hit him in the fist with my face and then in the <laughs> knee with my chest. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I saw Bill Burr at my local taco truck. You know, our f- favorite comedian. I mean, I know you know he's our favorite comedian, but one of our favorite comedians is uh, Bill Burr. And there's a taco truck right near where I live. And it's just like a miscellaneous taco truck. It's not like a famous one that everyone would go to. And he showed up there and it was very weird. But you could, I looked over at him and you could see he's getting to the point now where people do recognize him. So, he had this vibe of like, it's like almost putting his head down. It's a uh, signaling like, yes, I know you know who I am. Please don't bug me. I'm just out getting a burrito at mm-hmm. 11 p.m. And, you know, I think, remember what's his name? Aaron Eckhart is that actor, right? We saw yeah. him at the airport and he had the earplugs or headphones in the entire time he was waiting for his back. It's just like basically a fuck off, leave me alone vibe. Sure, yeah. <laughs> Um, fuck, I was going to say something. Oh, you guys saw Bill Burr this weekend. How was that? Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> it was funny. Fuck really, really funny. funny. We saw, uh, we went to a benefit um, for the American Legion, and it was a comedy show, and then also Eagles of Death Metal were playing an after party, and it was Bill Burr, Bob Saget, Jeff Ross, uh, and then a few others that I, I can't remember the names of, but Bob's, Bob Saget, and actually all three of them were, were fucking hilarious. Mm. Bill Burr was on another level, though. He's got like a. It feels like he's got another special, almost ready. Bob Saget, for people that don't know him, is the filthiest comedian. Yeah. on earth, and he's still the dad on Fuller House. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he was making those jokes, saying it's it's really funny how he's he's so filthy, and then he gets to be America's dad. Yeah, that's what he kept saying on stage. And I'm still America's dad. People still want me in their homes. <laughs> it's, it, he's so filthy that it's actually meta. Like it's beyond, it's self-aware. Like it's just doing it now for the sake of it. But it's, it's funny in that, you know, mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Um, what's well, the, the, to- lo- oh, the sorry. T- sorry, the tone of his voice does not give away. You know, if you were hearing gibberish come out of it, the tone of his voice and the way he delivers it would just sound like really, really innocent uh, comedy <laughs> uh, it sounds like that old-fashioned type of comedy but then the w- actual words are like just dirty <laughs> yeah fuck. well he's got all these bits where he talks about his mother being a whore <laughs> and but he 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 plays it off oh, i really shouldn't say that about mama you know i didn't mean i didn't mean to bring that up there's a movie called the aristocrats that if you're up for being offended do you want to test if you are offendable that's a movie to watch it's about a joke called the aristocrats i won't say any more um, what's the last question, Colton? Megan Cooper asks, what do you consider to be the defining aspects or elements of your music? Vibration. It's <laughs> a hard Because all things are vibration. I mean, does she mean like, what's the conga sound? Uh, the defining aspects. The, uh, this type of question, I'm not sure why someone wants to know that. That's what I wonder. Well, I mean, no, they probably have something more specific in their head that they're asking, but it's hard to answer because I don't really think of it in that in those ways. Well, yeah, I, I don't know how to give an the simple, easy answer. Like if you were trying to describe it to artificial intelligence, like Spotify algorithm is accordions, stompy drums, slide guitars. But that's only really for 
20% of it, you know, the rest of it, I don't know. I think an answer could be, there's a lot of stylistic things that are a thread throughout our music, you know, at the same time, we've got big, heavy songs with guitars and drums and riffs and, and, you know, rhythm is kind of throughout. And then we've got some mellow ballads where it's literally a guitar and a voice or, or something like that. What's so, weird is so, that your ambition is to not make defining elements. Well, what Oftentimes. I was, was going to say is that those things I would consider the dressings of a song, you know. Um, anything that you do to a song, whether it's instrumentation or production or how it's recorded, these things are the dressings of a song. But really, I would say the defining aspects of our song are our individualities, in and you know which are still being formed and they are either clear or not in any given song but ultimately each one of us writes on our own and we put our individuality into the music or we try to and then then you take a song and you kind of dress it up you put the band on it or you put some production on it and um i think the only qualify well this it's not a defining aspect it's a, a qualification for the song is it just has to be good which i know is kind of subjective but at least within us four, we're kind of like the democracy that says, is this song good or is it not good? And if it's good, then we'll find a way to uh, make it work as a band and we'll, you know, like Jesse says, put the dressing on it. But Well, I guess, like, okay, maybe I've got an angle on this question then, that maybe that, because I've been thinking about this a lot. You know, the Beatles, not to compare ourselves to the Beatles. Yeah, we're way better. Way better, way bigger. But... um they're, I'd, in terms of a successful band, they are the most uh, diverse in their sounds, not just from uh, era to era of theirs, but even within an album. It, it's hard to hear, what, like, what do the Beatles sound like? You know what I mean? Like, people can now mimic certain songs, like, oh, that sounds Fool on the Hillish or Penny Laneish. Mm-hmm. But each album was just so all over the place, sonically, songwriting style and all of that, because they were all writing and they were just completely out there. But I was trying to think... Are there any other bands that are actually diverse that are hugely successful like that? And that's why there's such an anomaly. Because when you look at like a big band like Foo Fighters, a huge rock band, I'm not I'm dissing them in any way, but it it basically sounds like Foo Fighters every album. You know, like slightly different, but it basically sounds guitar rock sort of thing. And that's it's pretty much true, I think, for most bands. And I think this is where we've had a bit of a hard time is because a lot of people do want to like go to this band for I want this kind of music to mm. put in my playlist. And it's not, it's not easy to do that with us because it's always different. Ultimately, I think it'll be a strength if we can achieve it you know, properly. Yeah, immortality. But, but the, the, Be- the Beatles had all the right ingredients for that variety because they had two, li- two writers, two extremely prolific writers at, you know, at any given time. And then the, the next two started to write more as well as they went on. Then they went through the psychedelic revolution, then they went to India, then the whole scene in the world of pop music changed and they were leading the way. So all of the right forces came together to make them have this really varied catalog and they didn't tour that much. But they, I'm saying there's still kind of an anomaly. I mean, obviously they're yeah, an anomaly, yeah, yeah. but even look like Led Zeppelin still basically sounds, sounds like, like Led, Led Zeppelin. Zeppelin yeah. And even a lot of other bands, as great as they all are, they were very much what their sound was. And... That, so when we get a questions like what is the defining uh, elements of our sound, I think our aspiration is in the vein of the Beatles. Like obviously it's an aspiration because they they've never been paralleled in terms of they just matured and evolved like no other band did. You know, if you listen to their early albums, the first couple albums, it's 
it's very influenced by you know, like early rock and roll and um, the Everly Brothers and things like that. And then they just completely found some sense of individuality where if you listen to, I feel like, oh, I love Led Zeppelin, but if you listen to Led Zeppelin or um, even Rolling Stones, like throughout their career, it, it didn't evolve that much. They wrote good songs, but it didn't evolve as a um, as a form, like an art form. And I, th- I think that sometimes a, uh, in terms of like the business side or the success of a career is the timing of when that happens. Like they had had so much success. Uh, Bob Dylan's another, he, but he's a perfect example of constantly changing and evolving where, you know, it always sounds like Bob Dylan because his voice is so uh, distinctive, but he's fucking done everything. Although that one Christmas album was not an evolution, that was a devolution. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's like we, in some respects, in America, for us, Come With Me Now was such a big thing for us that had we had another Come With Me Now-esque song that had gone and cemented that as a base, it might have been easier for us to move on to new stuff because I think a lot of people still now listen to our stuff and think, why come this song doesn't sound like the Come With Me Now? <laughs> and like it was never like that. None of the albums have ever been that similar in their sound. So I don't know. It's, I've just been thinking about this a lot in terms of us going forward. And yeah. I think we just keep our goal high, aim for the Beatles. We'll fall flat, but <laughs> you know, go for that. Yeah, I like the variety personally. Um, what was I gonna about to say? Tell me that much. Well, I guess we're done with the question. I hope this has answered some of your questions. We'll do this once a month. Keep the questions coming. They don't have to be about music, by the way. It could right. be about Greek food. Yeah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it could be about anything. Greek food, uh, Italian food. Uh, we were going to talk about something topical because we're uh, we Twitter is literally the worst thing in the world, but we still are on it a fair amount <laughs> because it's like oh, look, that's a new segment we could add. Why Twitter is the worst thing in the world. Um, well, today, what was it? The Mumford & Sons thing it was trending because they canceled some shows because yes. uh, of logistical issues. With they postponed them. They didn't even cancel them. They just postponed them. And the amount of shit that people gave them on Twitter. Is, Twitter. Yeah. They postponed the tour because they had logistical, their stage, their production. There was something wrong with their production, which they didn't anticipate which is up to their production manager and their tour manager and all that kind of stuff. And it's probably a, a massive setup that sometimes shit goes wrong. And so the tweets they're receiving back are just things like this. Absolute joke. Really glad I booked transport and accommodation for the Sheffield show. Just very, very critical. Like basically fans. Or basically, yeah. See, this is the weird thing about Twitter. Is this a real thing? I don't you know. know. I mean? It seems cultivated. It seems like a... It's a false controversy. Like, are these real people pissed yeah. off, or is this maybe a the Russians are technique? getting into? I'm assuming your this, tour like, organizer has too. been fired. I'm assuming your tour organizer has been fired. Learning about whatever these difficulties are a few days before the dates themselves is pretty amateur, lads. It's like you're just a fucking dude on Twitter. <laughs> you try put together a stage. Have you watched <laughs> Bus Call, <laughs> motherfucker? It's, 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 it's another level of, of entitlement. Uh, yeah, entitlement and arrogance. Basically, when people it's, and also when people are like upset that you're not coming to a city. This is actually something that we get quite a lot, which is quite annoying. It's like you announce a tour. It's you can't tour the world all at once, <laughs> you know, and you can't play every city in every fucking country. Uh, 
because it would take you six years to do that. And so you've got to split it up. You can't drive for sometimes from one city to an- another. There's, you know, venue availability. There's all sorts of reasons why people don't go to cities. Some of them just suck. <laughs> <laughs> but people always find a way to complain that you're not coming to this city or that, uh, like they did, they had to cancel a show. Like the only time people are even remotely understanding and they probably still grovel is like if there's a death in the family or there's some like, uh, you know, emotional thing that you say, that's why we're canceling. Then everyone's like, okay, well, we can, we can understand that. Yeah, like these people have never canceled a meeting <laughs> because they had a sniffle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, find, well, I, just, I just think it's goofy to, to like be mad at entertainers. It's not, they're not doctors. And, <laughs> and also, entertainers. Mumford & Sons is not like Morrissey who is legendary for like canceling every gig always because right. of just bullshit. Like Mumford and Sons just seems like they had some fucking issue with their stage. They postponed it to another yeah. date. There were refunds issued by the ticket holders. Shut the fuck up. If it were up to uh, me, I would just put lifetime bans on the people who complained. Well, my, my <laughs> conspiracy is that every story of this nature that you see on Twitter, if you go on this trending tab, there it's filled with these kinds of stories where there's controversy, you know, and, uh, my theory is that 99% of it is cooked up controversy and it's actually a weird form of promotion for whoever the subject of the story is because so-and-so, people are not sure what to make of so-and-so's new movie. Yes, yeah, clickbait, you know, basically. It's fucking, that's just the new way of PR is make it sound like there's controversy whether there is or not and people will click on it and read it and go, oh, I remember reading that. I, I go buy a ticket. The, I mean, what I th- it would be totally harmless if... People didn't buy it though. Whereas now they. they well, that's what I'm wondering. Are we buying it right what? now? No, no, no. We're. What well, I mean, are we common. buying a false controversy? Yeah, like I, yeah, that's we're, what I'm we're, saying. I don't even know if it's real. We're, we're wrapped we're, up in a false controversy, but the people tweeting all that stuff believe what they're saying. They well, believe when, that they're entitled to a Mumford & Sons show at any, no matter what, you know. You when, know. when Mumford & Sons' manager came to us to help promote their show, I mean, it was, <laughs> you know, it was a little weird, but I'm happy to talk about them on our right, podcast, yeah. you know. Yeah. Hashtag ad. Um, all right, that's our deep thoughts section for the week. And we're going to wrap it up and go back into the studio. So uh, thanks for listening. Make sure you tell your friends and everyone to tune in next week because we will be premiering our brand new song, Pay for the Weekend, exclusively for podcast listeners a day early on uh, next Monday. And oh, let's just do a quick cl- plug for Bus Call. I would imagine most of you listening to this have actually watched Bus Call. But if you haven't, Turn off your phone and go to the TV right now and use the YouTube app to watch Basco. It's much more important than this podcast. And then come back here and uh, listen to us tell you. If you're at work, watch it at work. Yeah. (laughs) No, I think uh, if if we do have any listeners in the industry, talk about it with your industry friends because it's one of those shows that everyone that I have interaction with who's in the quote industry or even attached to it somewhat, you know, gets it on a whole different level because we you know, patting ourselves on the back here. I think it's a pretty honest look at this world. And uh, so share it with those people. It's almost as good as the olive dip. Um, all right. <laughs> also get your tickets for the tour. Uh, January 9th, we play San Francisco. And then for six weeks, tour the US and Canada. So grab your tickets, congress.com forward slash shows. Um, yeah, that's Fine. it. You can have, have a good Thanksgiving, word. guys. And uh, on Monday, you will pay for the weekend. Guaranteed. <laughs>